Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the House Divided podcast. We are back after a small holiday break, but we have lots to talk about, including Michigan State's bowl game, Michigan's upcoming bowl game, lots of NFL decision-type stuff, and there's a couple pretty good basketball games coming up, too, as well as some hockey. So we have a full episode. Uh, Jeremy, how are you? Doing good, Brendan. Uh, ready to uh, jump back in. And uh, football season for me is officially done with all my teams. So uh, maybe that can bring some happiness back into my life. Uh, but apparently all, VAR and soccer is going to come for the rest of my happiness. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> how was, uh, how's your holidays? Uh, it's been good so far. Um, speaking of the Premier League, my – club got Carlo Ancelotti as a manager so that's a that's a big big hire for those of you who don't know soccer for a pretty I'm not going to call Everton a small club but they're not one of the big six in England so for any club outside of that big six to get a managerial hire that that qualified is really fun so it's been a good holidays for me Uh, got New Year's coming up pretty exciting stuff should we just dive into news then? Yeah, yeah. We had some uh, breaking news basically right before we recorded today. So it's uh, we, we picked a good time to record uh, instead of getting scooped right. Excuse me. So of getting scooped right after. Yeah, yeah. We got lucky with this one. Um, so the news we are talking about is on the Michigan State side of things. Josiah Scott has declared for the NFL draft. Uh, Jeremy, your feelings on this? Uh, not too, not too surprised. Um, I think, uh, to me, it kind of became clear when he chose to play in the Red Box Bowl last year, it kind of showed when he could have had a chance to redshirt, it kind of showed me that I I don't think he had any plans of being a four-year player regardless. So keeping that extra year wasn't going to be important. Uh, and he had no, you know, he had a good season. I don't really see him needing to change his mind. Um, I'm not a draft expert, but I can't with, you know, with Josiah being undersized, I can't really see him being better than a mid round type of player. Uh, But that doesn't mean that he can't have success in the NFL either. So, uh, you know, never want to judge. I mean, I think he would have been fine to come back, but I really don't know. Uh, He's not going to grow. So uh, in my opinion, I don't know if he could have changed his draft stock coming back. So might as well, uh, get into the draft as soon as you can, start making money as soon as you can, because uh, anything that a team would find wrong with Josiah Scott after basically being a starter for almost all three of his years, uh, except for timeout due to injury, uh, the the knocks against him weren't going to change. So I think it's mainly going to come down to his size, uh, and that wasn't going to change. So, uh, so good for him. Uh, I think from an MSU perspective, uh, you know, it looks like Kalen Durbin's going to have to step up and be a starter next year, but it also probably a uh, combination of what we have returning and, you know, four wide receivers that signed in the early signing period. I would expect Julian Barnett to be back on the defensive side of the ball uh, next year, um, which he said is his preferred side anyways. So I don't think it's going to be a negative to do that, but uh, I think this probably locks it in even a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting about Julian Barnett. Uh, I, to me, that seems like kind of a bummer for you guys. Like, I, I really liked his uh, dynamic potential on the offensive side of the ball, but you know, I have no idea what he could be uh, on the defensive side of the ball anyway, so it's still it's probably a wash. Um, yeah, and apparently he, uh, even like in pregame and everything, still did everything with the defensive backs, so I don't think uh, – at least from the from the team perspective, they've probably been leaning towards him doing that move anyways. Uh, it will be kind of interesting to see, uh, you know, he and Trey Person really had a good good run there at the end of the year. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't put it out of, uh, out of the realm of possibility that he plays a little bit on both sides of the ball. Uh, but I think primarily I'd expect him back on the defense there. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so that's uh, all we have with that news. Uh, to head over to the Michigan side of things, um, the two pieces of official news we got were that Quiddy Pay and Nick Eubanks both announced they're coming back to school. Um, and then 
Nico Collins, Cesar Ruiz, and Donovan Peoples-Jones have all came out and said that they're going to sit down with their family and decide after the bowl game. Um, I believe Ambry Thomas has said something along the same lines of, hey, I'm planning on coming back, but I'm about to go play Alabama. So if I get put out some good tape against Jerry Judy, uh, you know, that might change. And that's completely understandable. I wouldn't be shocked if any of these guys who have the option go out and put out good tape against Alabama and then maybe change their mind. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of my feelings on that. Um, and then Michael Dwumfor, really interesting, did not make the trip to Orlando, and he has the option to either come back for a fifth year or uh, go to the draft. And so a lot of people thought when he didn't make the trip that he was gone. But an official Michigan spokesman came out and said that he had a medical procedure done, and that's why he didn't go out. I still am not going to expect to see him back next year. This all seems a little bit strange to me. I feel like he would have traveled with the team, even with the medical thing. I'm not sure, though. So. Yeah, and that's hard to know, too. If he uh, is the medical procedure something that uh, he's had done now because he planned on going in the draft, or was it something different? So uh, I'm with you. I would read that. Uh, you know, wouldn't say that locks it in on any any one side, but uh, kind of looks like he's leaning towards, uh, especially when it's a fifth year to come back. He probably uh, he's probably ready to go on, and even if he's undrafted, sign as a free agent and uh, and get working towards that second contract as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Uh, so that's all we have for football, really. Um, I guess I should acknowledge there was the rumor out there. I believe credit to Isaiah Hole for this, but he, uh, Nico Collins is very much leaning towards coming back is what he has heard out of the program. Uh, so just thought I'd give that, uh, give Isaiah a nod there because that's the report right now. But even he said on his podcast on lockdown Wolverines that just because he's leaning coming back right now, if he goes out and burns up some Alabama corners, he might change his mind. So I wouldn't read too much into that, but that is the word around the program. Um, now to get to a bit of somber news in this section, uh, Isaiah Livers is out indefinitely for Michigan with a groin injury. The worst part about this is he had it going up for a dunk against Presbyterian in a game that they were almost doubled up in, uh, and he got hurt. So that's really crappy to see, especially going into Big Ten play, especially because it happened against a nobody opponent. Um, obviously, it impact, we'll get into all the uh, ways it impacts the upcoming Michigan-Michigan State game next Sunday. But, yeah, it's some pretty crappy news for Isaiah Livers. Yeah, it feels like it's got to be the – probably, you know, the only loss that would hurt Michigan more would be Xavier Simpson. So I agree. Uh, pretty big loss for – for Michigan basketball, um, you know, and, and the out indefinitely is always scary. It could mean that they just don't know a timetable yet. So we're just going to say it's indefinite and it could be as little as a few weeks, but it also, uh, you know, becomes scary where you start thinking like, you know, especially from an MSU perspective, uh, you know, we thought Josh Langford would be back at some point and it just kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. So um, I don't think a growing is going to be something like, play as bad as Josh, for what Josh has had, but I think, uh, you know, hopefully Livers is back by tournament time uh, at the latest, uh, if not before then. Uh, you know, groins are really, that's a tough thing to get over. <laughs> uh, they take a long time to heal, um, and it takes a long time to feel right again, but hopefully not something severe that, you know, we, we don't see him again this season. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that he's back by early March, but, you know, you just never know with these type of things. It is a huge bummer. Uh, if you, if anybody wants to take any consolation in this, not for Isaiah, but for your outlook on the team, this almost guarantees that he'll be back next year, I, I would think. But still just feel awful for Isaiah and uh, wish him a speedy recovery. Now to get on to a bit more fun note, uh, Ohio State got screwed the other night in the semifinal. <laughs> oh man, I have had a uh, a rough week with replay uh, as a Wolves fan in soccer, but uh, 
you know, I, I think I held myself together much better than I, I probably would be if I was an Ohio State fan right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, uh, you know, and, and they were screwed by, uh, I, well, I wouldn't say the targeting was screwed. I think that's the letter of the law. Tough break on that one. Um, I, I think that the fumble recovery was a fumble recovery, but, you know, you can kind of argue it both ways. But here's, uh, here's where they really screwed themselves. Their coach pissed down his leg in his first big game. So, oh, um, yeah. uh, you, you can't win games with field goals. So you get three field goals out of three red zone trips. They could have been, they were up 16 to nothing on Clemson and they could have been up 28 to nothing. So, um, you know, that was, that was one thing. And then, uh, <laughs> you know, late in the game, Mr. Aggressive Ryan Day decided to punt from inside the 40 yard line of his opponent, which I think Drew Christman's a great punter and they did pin Clemson back. But here's the thing. You're giving Trevor Lawrence three minutes. I don't think it matters if it's 94 yards or 60 yards that he needs to go. Uh, you have the chance to put the game away. Put the game away. Uh, go for it. I, I don't know. I I think he's screwed if he doesn't go for it and they score on, his, on an easy drive. But especially because, again, they were only up two points because earlier he was scared to go for two. Um, so, yeah, Ryan Day. Pretty good first year, but you really uh, – I think he needs to own that loss more than the refs do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I just think it's hilarious because uh, Ohio State fans all over the internet are doing the exact same things they crucified Michigan fans for after that 2016 game. And it is like, – like I'm seeing literally the same formatted tweets in the different context. It's amazing. Uh, so – well, Brendan, when you can take online classes, it's easier to uh, plagiarize. So I think that's just that's just following uh, following the path. Yeah, and in the other semifinal, uh, I bet the over. And if you would have told me that I would get it with Oklahoma only scoring fourteen first half points, I would have been confused. But holy crap, Joe Burrow is unbelievable this LSU offense is unbelievable but I just want to point to the fact Michigan fans need to own their bad takes because we were all calling Ed Orgeron Cajun Brady Hoke like two years ago and that is clearly not the case no not even close uh I think number one thing that Orgeron did is he uh he weaponized the money that he has at that program and made sure he went out and he got some next-level assistance. Um, you know, and, yeah, he clearly – I think Brady, I think uh, Edo might be the first time that I've actually believed when people say, like, you know, a coach has a bad experience, but they learn from it. He clearly learned from his Ole Miss experience. Um, he is one of the best coaches going right now. He's got it all figured out, how to be a CEO. And, yeah, the, the only thing that I was sad about – uh, I think the most of having Ohio State go down to Clemson, uh, besides getting a few more proselytizing quotes from uh, Davos Swinney, is that I I really think the Ohio State playing Joe Burrow with a transfer quarterback as they lost Joe Burrow as a transfer because of Tathan Martell. Um, <laughs> I think it would have been a fun lead up to that game. Oh, it would have uh, been. And now, now I really got to be honest, I don't. I hammered LSU minus six, um, and it, you know I can't see Clemson staying within that. So uh, I think it should be a uh, a nice runaway win for LSU um, with a lot less fun intrigue going into it. I agree with you, but uh, regardless, I'm just so happy. But the annoying part is Ohio State fans are still going to claim this national championship because of Joe Burrow. Uh, but uh, seven, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Seven first half touchdowns. I looked in the middle of the first half. I had to look up the record for most touchdown passing touchdowns in a college football game, and it was eight. And he got seven in the first half. If they would have played the second half anywhere near full speed, he would have shattered the record in a playoff game. The dude's crazy. Yeah. Somehow we're going to let the Cincinnati Bengals ruin him, but I guess. So you put him back home to Ohio, so uh, it goes full circle. 
he he got out of hell and he's going back. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. It is. Um, you know, it's not unfortunate, though. Well, depending on perspective, I guess. Uh, Michigan State got that seventh win. They end the year over 500. How do you feel? Uh, yeah, I think so. The main narrative that I've seen out there, and I agree with, is it was a pretty good encapsulation of the entire experience of being an MSU football fan this season. Um, you know, I had kind of all the frustrations that have happened show themselves again, uh, whether it be poor clock management slash uh, being able to just finish an opponent because they really uh, they really dominated Wake Forest in the second half and had opportunities where, you know, drives finished with field goals or punts where they had momentum going and they really could have put the game away. Um, so that was one thing that popped up. And then you had the typical Brian Lewerke had a pretty good game, but then when he misses, he really misses on his throws. Uh, but overall, I think, I think it's impossible to, uh, to come away from that really too upset uh, because not only did they win, but I think they showed a lot of, uh, a lot of young players kind of showed out and gave you, gave you some excitement for next year. We kind of already touched on Trey Pearson and, uh, and Julian Barnett, but I think you also had things like Elijah Collins came 12 yards short of getting to 100, or I'm sorry, getting 12 yards short of getting to 1,000 for the season, so that's exciting. Uh, Anthony Williams looked really, really good. Uh, I think he's going to be a fun speed player for them next year. Uh, it was disappointing that because it stayed close, we did never see a quarterback, um, but I think that's it would have been crazy to try and get too much off of a bowl game against Wake Forest anyways, uh, as far as who's going to win the quarterback battle. So, and then even on defense, you had guys like, uh, Jacob Slade played really good. Naquan Jones was dominant as a defensive tackle at times. So uh, I think it was pretty good to, uh, it feels a lot different, right? I mean, even last season, they, they leave the red box bowl, uh, and you know, not only was it a loss that you got to go into the offseason with, but it was just an ugly game. This one, like, you leave and it was fun. So uh, I not too much to complain about uh, in beating Wake Forest. And I think they surprised me. I think Wake Forest was better than I expected. Um, and we kind of all loved to laugh at the ACC. And they certainly were overmatched against any of the good opponents they played in the ACC. But that uh, that offense is pretty hard to play against with that whole mesh point thing. It, once it was actually in – in action against MSU, it was like, this is really frustrating. You really, they, uh, that's an interesting team to play against. So I'll take it. Um, you know, and then we just move into uh, what should be uh, probably a pretty, pretty lively offseason, at least from a narrative perspective. Yeah, I honestly, from the outside, I think this win does more for MSU fans and how they feel going into 2020 than it does at all for the program. I mean, for sure. they they secured the win, but, man, in the fourth quarter I was watching and uh, obviously, you know, hoping for whatever chaos I could hope for. And both teams were just trying to give that game to each other, it felt like. But oh yeah, I, I will have to say, even plus the fans, for those players, it just has to feel great ending the season on a high note. And, you know, it was a tough season. You went seven weeks without a win in the middle there had heartbreaking losses blowouts to your rival it's got to feel really good to finish on a high note and get a good win over a pretty good team yeah and three wins in a row uh you know to to finish a year is pretty nice and i think the best win was the last win because you know the Rutgers and maryland game you have one against Rutgers, and then a maryland game that was again almost given away so i think uh, it was good to win the last one and uh, send the seniors out a pretty, I think a pretty well liked senior class. They may not be the most talented or have the best uh, results as far as a win loss record, but I think they're well regarded. The guys who stuck around and and were able to stick with the program. So uh, that felt good to uh, to do. But yeah, it's uh, they really tried to get away right down to Matt Coglin missing basically an extra point level field goal. So. Um, it's yeah, it's gonna be an interesting offseason where there should be a lot of competition for for playing time and I guess a lot of competition for uh, for offices within the football building too. So uh, that's uh, but yeah, you you look at it again. You come off that Red Box Bowl last year, uh, 
you know, similar type season. But, you know, it's a lot different when you get to leave the season with a game where you almost put up 500 yards of offense. Uh, even though Wake Forest is not going to be confused at the top level of defense, uh, you know, 500 yards of offense at MSU is no joke. So that's, uh, that's good to have coming into the offseason. Yeah, and you know what I loved was uh, all of the baseball-themed celebrations from the state players. thought that was fun. Um, yes, yeah, the Cody White uh, hitting a home run and, yep. uh, and the parachute uh, tip of the cap, which I guess they said he was standing basically where home plate would have been, which I thought well, that was kind of cool, um, even though uh, it continued the parachute run of getting some unsportsmanlike penalties. Uh, this one I enjoyed compared to the other ones they get. So uh, that was pretty cool. It reminded me a lot of like watching, uh, you know, winter classics where guys come with their uh, their goal celebrations ready to be baseball themed. Uh, but I've never seen the football teams do it. So that was uh, that was a fun little feature too. And it looked like actually a pretty cool experience. I, I think the sight lines at the game were probably terrible. But, um, you know, comparing to what I've seen when Northwestern is played at Wrigley, uh, I think the Pinstripe Bowl looks like it at least – it at least looked like better football on on Yankee Stadium's field, and all I can hope is that we tore up their field and uh, <laughs> and it, it just injures a few Yankees this spring. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to dive into on this game before we head into preview uh, for the Citrus Bowl? No, no. I think it's uh, you guys. You've got a pretty big game coming up here, so let's dive right into that. Are Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Brendan, I've waited. Uh, since 38 nothing to Alabama, and, uh, and Michigan fans got a lot of runoff of uh, enjoying their, their rival losing in a playoff game. Um, I'm interested to see how this one goes. I don't think you guys are going to lose 38 to nothing. I think you're going to be much more competitive. No, I think we're going to score. That's, that's important here. Uh, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> how, many, how many points get given up? I'm not sure. Uh, so really, I think the only chance for Michigan to win this is a shootout. I don't think there's any scenario where they win like a 20 to 17 game. Um, Alabama just has too many weapons on offense. I know they're down to a backup quarterback and have like, I think one or two offensive linemen sitting out of this game, but uh, they're pretty much full steam ahead. And that makes me very nervous because they have about four receivers that scare the shit out of me. And Michigan doesn't have that many corners that make me feel comfortable. Uh, so I think their only chance to win is a high-scoring game. I don't think the defense needs to be good. They just need to be timely and opportunistic. So that was the thing about the Clemson defense. Clemson only gave up 50 less yards to Ohio State than Michigan did. But they had good red zone stops, and they had two turnovers. And I think that's the difference between Clemson and Michigan is – Nobody's defense in college football anymore is wired to stop these LSU offenses, these Ohio State offenses, these Clemson offenses. There isn't a defense in the country that's wired to stop those. It's the defenses that can be opportunistic, get some takeaways, and force field goals. So I guess you got to hope for that, and then you need your offense to be clicking. And I think they will. I think that. They've had a lot of time to prepare. I think Josh Gaddis is going to have a really good game plan. Um, any insights you see from the outside? Yeah, I think uh, for me, again, I kind of enjoy some of these narratives going into bowl games. I think two things I'll be looking to watch is I do want to see with a month off and, you know, basically unlike, unlike previous Michigan Bowls, not many guys sitting out. Um, really any outside of what we talked about Michael Drum for earlier. Uh, but on the offensive side of the ball, you know, everyone's playing. Uh, we didn't know, you know, after the season, if DPJ would claim or, you know, say he's going to the draft already and maybe sit out or Nico, like those, these guys are playing. So I think that that's intriguing compared to other Michigan years. Like I'm thinking the Florida state game and things where there's just a lot of guys sitting. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's two major, differences here um I think one I think there's a lot of the guys on this roster who got thrown into that Florida game last year uh because of how many people sat I think those players knew what happened and after they 
went through that, probably made a decision saying, I'm not going to do that to my team because that was awful, getting beat like 45 to 14 yeah. in Florida. Yeah, I could agree to that. And, I, and that. and I think that we're also further removed from the Jake Butt situation where he gets injured in a bowl game. Yes. Um, you know, I think, I think that plays a role where guys who maybe were closer with Jake or closer say, you know, when my time comes, I don't think I want to want to risk it. Um, But then, you know, you have, uh, you have guys who now experience, like you said, the other side of it of um, guys sat and it kind of made for a tough off season. So, so that's one thing I'm looking into. And I think it'll be fun to see, you know, Shea Patterson, uh, see if he's got any, you know, institutional knowledge or just kind of, you know, he should have maybe a little bit more experience than was like to play Alabama um, from his time at Ole Miss, possibly. Uh, so that's gonna be kind of intriguing too. You know, seeing him match up against uh, Alabama again as a as a Michigan quarterback, and and I want to see similar to you know Michigan State. I think Michigan's got more to play for, and they've got more of a premier game. But I'd also like to see like is Joe Milton gonna get a series? Is uh, uh, you know, McCaffrey going to get a series? Like, do we get to see anything towards the Michigan, you know, the future of Michigan football too? Uh, so it's, it's probably one of the games that even compared to the playoff games, like I'd say, you know, of course it has my rival in it. So uh, some, some, uh, some possibility of controlling makes me a little bit more <laughs> intrigued, but it's honestly probably one of the premier, I think one of the best bowl games, even better than like, you know, LSU, Oklahoma going into it. So uh, it, it should be uh, probably the best bowl game coming up in this next batch here. Yeah, I think so too. I think it has potential to be. I think it also has potential to just be a whole nation laughs at Michigan type three hours. So I, I, I don't know what to expect, to be truthful. I'm not that excited just because I'm pretty pessimistic about what's going to happen. But yeah, that was my other point when talking about why would nobody sitting out is it's Alabama. You know, if you're about to go to the draft, Michigan doesn't have any top 15 lock type players. They have right. a bunch of guys who, if they're going to go, it's going to be mid, mid rounds to maybe late first or second round. So I think it does a lot more good for them to actually play against Alabama and show they can compete with these NFL guys. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Um, I'm curious to see if you agree with me on this, but I think everybody who bets should smash Alabama minus seven. Uh, I really don't see a way Michigan keeps this game close. I mean, I yeah, see a way, say, but I feel like they're not going to. Yeah, no, I, I see uh, – I would agree with you. I also say that, like, low-key – Betting on bowl games is really just one of the worst options, though, because <laughs> bowl games come down to so many times who wants to be there or who takes it the ser- like you know just takes it serious. So I'd say if I got Alabama minus seven in like a you know Jerry World season opening game, I would absolutely tell everyone to smash that uh, bowl game. Never know, but yeah, minus seven is surprising. I would I would have guessed Alabama, even though it's you know. Not like you're playing two attack of Iloa. Um, but I would have guessed Alabama like about minus nine and a half. So, yeah, I think minus seven is a strong bet. Um, I would certainly not advise anyone to put money on Michigan on that line. Uh, you would need many more points given to, uh, to, to have me betting on Michigan, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. This would be one of my bull games to avoid if I was betting. Um, just because I think there's such a high variance for what could happen. Um, I There's a chance we could see Alabama come out and just be mad that they're not in the playoff and pout, or we could see them mad that they're not in the playoff and do something about it. So uh, that that's pretty much all I have for this game. I don't think Michigan's going to win. I'm not expecting yeah. to be super – I have to go into work at four. It's going to be right into like the last 10, 15 minutes of game clock when I'm going in, and I don't expect it to matter that I have to miss those minutes. So that's where my head's at. Yeah. Yeah, and I have to say, uh, if you are looking for a motivation or a psychology, um, Oklahoma game absolutely boat race the other night probably was not nice for Michigan because now I think Alabama is going to want to show like 
you should, even though they had the losses, like they want to show that they were better than Oklahoma and they might want to just run it up a little bit. So that is one thing to watch uh, in this game. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Uh, Basketball happened and is going to happen. And we have thoughts. Jeremy. (laughs) Many thoughts. Um, Yeah, so the Hoops programs both played a couple of really nothing games. I think East or State played Eastern Michigan and Western Michigan, and then Michigan played Presbyterian and UMass Lowell. Uh, I think all four games were blowouts other than Winston not playing against Western. Wasn't too much that was notable. Uh, you had a couple MSU notes, but uh, for Michigan, it's yeah. Isaiah Livers injury and just the fact that they did what they were supposed to against these teams, and that feels good. But Yeah, I think for MSU, the only real thing was, like you said, the, the Cassius Winston sitting out, uh, which also uh, was last night against Western, but also led to uh, Rocket Watts was back in the lineup as well, so that's something to uh, to be excited about as an MSU fan. Um, also, Aaron Henry had a really good game. Uh, granted, competition is is lower, but I think what you're looking for is that the shots are going down like confidently, and they he certainly did that last night. He had you know his shots were going down clean. He even had a couple of drives where, as a left hander, he was making drives with his right hand. So. I think that shows that he's definitely uh, much more confident than what we saw a few weeks back. And um, granted, the level of competition was pretty low uh, for MSU, but they still put up their two best, uh, most efficient offensive performances of the season. So um, that's exciting, regardless of who you're playing. So uh, big step up. They got two tough opponents coming up with Illinois on Thursday. Uh, before facing Michigan at home on Sunday. So it's going to be a big week in the Big Ten. Uh, but at least you you can feel confident in that guys who we were worried about, you know, a couple weeks ago seem to be finding their game uh, at the right time as we jump back into league play. So if anything, these, uh, these mid-December you know, games and late-December games serve their purpose in kind of refocusing guys and, and getting them back on track. Yeah, yeah, and uh, there was a couple players. I know Adrian Nunez kind of had a similar thing the last two games. He was starting to find his shot a little bit. Uh, These games can always be good confidence booster. I didn't notice too much out of Franz, but I have to imagine just now having a full month down under uh, being a, a real player has to be good for his confidence going into the state game next weekend. But, yeah. Um, yeah, a good couple of weeks for Michigan and Michigan State. Uh, pretty big week upcoming for both teams. I would say even more so for MSU uh, taking on Illinois and then hosting Michigan. Other than Michigan, Michigan just has the one game against Michigan State, though. Yeah, I think for MSU, it's it's gonna be two different types of games too. Uh, you're gonna have Illinois is gonna really test the bigs. Uh, on Thursday, and I know that's something that Tom Izzo covered in his post-game press conference last night was he wasn't really happy with, I think outside of maybe Xavier Tillman, but he was really unhappy with the effort from the bigs, um, especially at the end of the game, which for sure would mean when Tillman was was already sat down. He wasn't really uh, guys like you know Marcus Bainham and uh, and Kithier. They were really not, and even Julius Marvel when he got some runs, they uh, Granted, you still win by 33, but it was a lead of, you know, I want to say like 45 <laughs> going into the last five minutes. So they really were pretty lackadaisical to go on defense and everything. And uh, I think that's that's concerning because as, uh, as Michigan saw, the bigs from Illinois are pretty dominant and can really take over games and, and change how you want to play. So that's going to be a good test on Thursday. And then it, it flips on Sunday, I think, to becoming more of a game of, uh, how do the guards match up? Of course, we get a Winston versus Simpson matchup again, but I think it's, it'll be interesting to see you guys, like even at the small forward position, like an Aaron Henry versus Wagner, things like that. I think that'll decide that game on Sunday. So a pretty good week of two competitive games for MSU coming up, and I'm sure uh, for a Michigan fan perspective, a pretty big game, especially since it'll be, uh, you know, only you know your first real test without Isaiah Livers too, and it's a it's a rival. 
Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. So this Michigan-Michigan State game is uh, – I think it's going to be really good. Um, there's a chance MSU runs away with it, though. As we know, Michigan has yet to have a true road win. Uh, they've only won neutral site and home games. And the Breslin Center is not an easy place to break that streak. Uh, but I honestly think it could be a shootout. If anywhere is a weakness for MSU, it is their defense. Um, if Well, it's hard to even call it a weakness. They're, but their efficiency is outside of the top 30 uh, defensively on Ken Palm, and that's just something that we're not used to seeing from Izzo teams. Uh, so if there's anywhere I think Michigan can attack, if they can have a good shooting day, I think uh, using Xavier to drive the hoop and then get your role players, your Eli Brooks, your Franz Wagner, even Brandon Johns and John Teske, if you can get them open looks from three and uh, they're actually shooting okay, I think Michigan can make it a shootout. But uh, it hurts not to have livers. He was the most reliable three-point shooter on this team, and I think that was always going to be the way that Michigan could beat MSU. So um, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I think – I really don't – I think if Michigan – yeah, you if go. I was a Michigan fan, I think I would uh, put a lot of Maui tape in. Uh, I think that you need a game like a Virginia Tech or even Georgia, who MSU ended up beating. But both those teams, double digits uh, for three points made. Um, you know, so I think you know, looking at games like Seton Hall, Virginia Tech, Georgia, those are going to be the ones that give Michigan a blueprint of their way to win, right? Uh, making timely threes. Uh, making a decent percentage of them and and really capitalizing on MSU turnovers, which another thing that I think we could say for MSU a positive of last night's win, with even with Cassius Winston down, the turnovers were the lowest of the season. It was their best performance on that um, as far as turnover percentage goes. I think it was the second best to maybe Bingham Tin or UCLA. Um, so uh, really good performance there. But yeah, Michigan, it's just going to be about can they force turnovers and uh, and get out and and have a three-point performance similar to teams that have upset MSU, like a Virginia Tech. Yeah, and I think that's a good – I think capitalizing on the turnovers is going to be one of the most important keys to the game. Um, you know, this game – without Livers, this game kind of goes some, from a game that I have a decent hope that they can win to more – now it's more of a long shot, uh, but – you know, anything can happen. You have a longer break off. Michigan State has a tough turnaround having to go to – they have to go to Illinois, correct? It's not a home game. Uh, let me look. Uh, no, it is home. So they actually get to host Illinois. I was not aware of that. I thought they were on the road. Um, but still, having to face a pretty good Illinois team and then three days later come back and – play Michigan it's no easy task so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out um do you have a prediction or anything else you wanted to touch on yeah I was gonna say I mean I think uh you know looking at like Torvik it says that you know the Illinois game is about a 10 point 10 point MSU leaning about a six for the Michigan game I think Illinois I, I honestly would be surprised if we got all the way up to 10 um but the Michigan game about six seems all right you know a two two to three possession game um, and the difference being at home, uh, I think that uh, I'd be really surprised to see us sweep Michigan this year, but if we're going to get a win, I think right now, as Michigan's figuring out how they're going to run without Isaiah Livers and, and things like that, this is the time to catch them, because I do think Michigan will get that figured out uh, for the matchup later in the season. So if we're going to get a win, I think this is going to have to be the one. <laughs> um, and with with right now how Aaron Henry is feeling it, Xavier Tillman's had two really good games. Uh, I just think that MSU might be in a little bit of a better place right now and a little bit more sure of themselves than Michigan as they just adjust to not having Isaiah Livers. I don't think that Michigan has played poorly. It's just that's just not something you prepare for to lose Isaiah Livers at this point in the season. So um, I think I'd, I'd pick MSU in a close game, uh, but uh, you know certainly wouldn't be surprised with an outcome of Michigan coming in and hitting some threes and, and getting out with an upset. I mean, we wouldn't even really call it an upset, I guess, at this point in the season because they're pretty two evenly matched teams. 
Yeah, I think if it's Isaiah Livers, you don't really call it an upset. But if you have him, but I I think it's gonna be just a lot not having him as your your option to just can some threes. Um, so I've got because he's probably your he's probably your most important one at hitting those threes too. So yeah, it yeah. is a big loss, especially in the way that you think you need to to play to beat MSU. It is it is a, certainly a, a hard loss for MS or for Michigan to take right now. Yeah, yeah, I think Michigan ends up. I think they'll keep it close in the first half, but I think it'll probably feel very hopeless as Cassius Winston takes over down the stretch, and uh, it'll probably end up uh, state winning going away. But should be a good game. I'm really excited for it. I think the basketball version of this rivalry is my favorite version, and so I cherish every time we get to meet, even uh, if they're on a three-game losing streak. Um, one thing... It's been so long since it happened, but I just realized we haven't recorded since it did happen, so I wanted to touch on it real quick while we're on basketball. I uh, missed it in the news section, but Michigan did come out with the commitment from Hunter Dickinson. Uh, this is a huge commitment, both figuratively and literally. He's seven foot one and like 230. <laughs> um, so this will be good rounding out Michigan's class. They've got him and Isaiah Todd. So bringing in some really uh, good size. Um, Todd can score at all three levels, and Hunter Dickinson is a force down low. So just wanted to touch on that. It should be this Michigan team is going to be huge next year because I'm assuming they're going to get Franz back too. So going to have lots of size. Um, Now to get to hockey. It's the GLI, actually starting in one hour, so we're a little bit late on recording a preview, but it doesn't matter because you can't watch it anyways. So, uh, Jeremy, you will go first with your your boys, uh, taking on Michigan Tech in about an hour, and then obviously are going to have a game tomorrow. Yeah, so uh, one thing I think that's important from an MSU perspective, and it was only that I assumed, but uh, we just got confirmed with the lineup coming out. Uh, Christian Krieger will be in the lineup, so uh, that's helpful for MSU. Um, yeah, I figured he got cut from the World Junior in time that he could pretty easily make it back to <laughs> back to campus, but uh, it was confirmed that he'll be in the lineup today, uh, back on a pairing with Cole. Um, so that should help because I know the Arizona State game, they had a lot of line shuffling probably for the first time all season that I've noticed um, such a big line shuffle. And, and a part of it was uh, having to draft Anthony Scarcella due to Christian Krieger being gone. So, um, yeah, so lineup should be normal. These teams are one spot apart in the pairwise rankings. So uh, for MSU, uh, it's a big game, the Machine Tech game. Obviously, you want to win the GOI, but I think if you look at your – NCAA hopes this is the most important game in that respect, uh, both due to getting a win over a team that's similarly rated to you, but also, as we discussed with the Arizona State win, every game that Tech goes on and wins from here on out helps you. So um, a chance to go get a win against a team that's not in your conference, and you can just go ahead and go root for them the rest of the year. Uh, So I think this game is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, the main thing I think uh, to watch is it's going to have two of probably the best, at least statistically, two of the best goalies in the country this year. Uh, with uh, I believe it's Matt Jurisic is Michigan Tech's goaltender uh, versus John Lefferman. They both have a goals against average right around a two. Uh, so it should be a low-scoring affair. I would expect this one to be high-scoring uh, in the least. And so, you know, minimize your mistakes. And a big thing for MSU – is they have not scored a power play goal since the game at Yost, uh, which I believe the power play goal was the game winner that night. But, uh, yeah, 0 for 20 since then, which it's surprising they've had the results they've had since then because uh, the power play was so much of their offense early in the year. It's surprising they're, they're finding a way to win games without power play goals. But uh, hopefully with a couple weeks off, they've had time to really work on that in practice and get something going because. Uh, you know, going seven, eight games without a power play goal is not going to be good for uh, the stretch run here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, Michigan State has a great, great chance to win the whole thing, uh, not even just this game against Tech. But, yeah, you're right. It's going to be a really good test. They're two very similar teams. 
Um, I wouldn't be surprised by a result either way, but this feels like a game I think State's going to win. And I'm not going to go ahead and say that it is the championship game in the first round, but the way it's set up uh, this year, it certainly feels like there's a good chance that the winner of this game ends up winning the whole thing because they're rated, what, both top 20 in pairwise compared to Michigan and Ferris State, who are 37th and 45th, respectively. So, and uh, it'll be a good opportunity. I was just looking on the GLI Wikipedia page. We haven't seen a Michigan-Michigan State. Uh, We've seen the matchup in the GLI three straight years, but it's been in the third-place game every time. Um, We haven't seen them match up in the championship game since 2014, and I think we have a pretty good shot this year. Um, I think Michigan has been playing the best hockey of their season recently. And while you don't have York and Beecher, I feel like Fair State is a team you should beat. I was kind of looking through their schedule to see their comparable. And I think it would be Lake Superior State, who Michigan beat fairly handily earlier this year in a home series. So hope for a win for Michigan. And we could see a Michigan-Michigan State championship game on uh, New Year's Eve. <laughs> I was trying to think of the day of the week, but I never can. This week. Um, funny enough, though, the last time Michigan and Michigan State met in the championship game was 2014 when Ferris State was also the fourth team. Uh, for those who don't know, Michigan, Michigan State, Michigan Tech are always in it, and then they rotate – just uh, a random invite, usually from the state, but sometimes not, uh, as that fourth team. And 2014 was the last time that happened. Um, man, I'm also looking at this. Michigan State, or not, no, I'm, I'm sorry, Michigan Tech have been the runner-up in this tournament for four years straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's been weird. You know, most of my life it was always MSU and Michigan in the final, and Michigan Tech was one of the worst programs in college hockey and it's been flipped ever since really since Mel Pearson went there uh obviously he's now the Michigan coach but since uh since Mel Pearson went to Tech he kind of flipped it around got that program going and they've been really the premier team of the GOI so this uh this is probably the most I think open I can remember it even though we did talk about MSU and Tech seem to be on a different tier I think that I agree with you. Michigan's probably played their best hockey of the season and that they are, I think they're a better team than that pairwise lets on. So uh, it should be a really fun tournament. Um, You know, hopefully you have a flow hockey subscription because three out of the four games are only going to be on flow hockey. But if, if uh, we get a Michigan Michigan state final, at least I believe that one is on Fox Sports Detroit. So we can at least get uh, one of the games on TV, but uh uh, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that it's going to be hard to try and watch a, a pretty premier college hockey tournament this year. Yeah, it's gross. And, I mean, this is also coming off of the heels of, you know, the World Junior Championships being incredibly difficult to watch, uh, considering NHL Network is doing absolutely nothing to try and get on streaming platforms or even most basic cable packages. Um so this is just really irritating. Feels like nobody's actually trying to grow the game of hockey. They just all talk about how they are. But yeah, uh, July yeah. still should be fun. If you can follow along uh, via all the team's Twitter accounts. Uh, unfortunately, I will not be able to watch Michigan's first game against Ferris, considering I have to work when it uh, starts. But hopefully we'll both get to watch our teams in the championship game tomorrow. It's been a long time since uh, MSU won a, a GLI championship. Yeah, it's been a it's been a long time, and it would be cool uh, to finally get us. Uh, I mean, it's not been open very long, but it'd be obviously the first championship game that we'd have uh, in Middle Tuesday's Arena between the two teams. So that could be fun uh, to to get that tomorrow. So that's kind of what I'll be rooting for. Um, I agree with you. I think that the the easiest game to pick is that Michigan beats Ferris uh, pretty easily. I don't really look for Ferris to to push them too much, and then uh, we'll just have to see if Michigan State can uh, can have a good game uh, against a really talented 
Michigan Tech team to get us that championship that we're looking forward to. Yes, sir. Um, I'm not sure if we have anything else. Uh, it was a pretty big episode. Lots of stuff going on. Um, I guess just to give an update, uh, Cam York and Johnny Beecher, I'm not sure either of them has a point at the World Juniors yet, but as far as I know, they've been playing pretty solid hockey. I haven't been able to watch a lot of it, as I've said. Um, but, you know, USA is going strong. So with the help of those two, you have any other World Juniors notes just for fun? No, I was going to say if uh... – if you do have ESPN Plus, uh, that's probably the easiest way to try and watch some of the World Juniors. Unfortunately, USA and Canada are still blacked out uh, on ESPN Plus, but for any Red Wings fan, it's a great way to get to watch Germany and see Mo Sider. Um, he's had a pretty decent tournament so far, uh, as Germany's actually held their own pretty well. Um, they are recently promoted up into the tier where they could be in the world juniors. So, uh, they were pretty talented and fun team to watch, uh, to all good forwards. And and also, like I said, most cider to watch. So, uh, enjoy the world juniors on ESPN plus for any non Canada USA matchup. Um, but yeah, unfortunately this is usually a really fun time of year between GOI and the world juniors. And this year, I don't get NHL Network, and the GOI uh, uh, wasn't really very much on TV. So, been a little bit down as far as uh, the level of hockey that I get to consume as I normally do. So, uh, but yeah, ESPN Plus, if you want to check out uh, a future Red Wing uh, and a current Griffin and Mo Sider. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, they they are running him into the ground. Uh, he had 27 minutes <laughs> of ice time against. Canada this morning and uh yeah, yeah. what well, one thing I know yeah I know back, in the uh um I know in the USA game in the first period he played nine minutes so he played almost half the period uh for just the first period so it's uh they are certainly <laughs> running him into the ground yep and uh one thing of note since we do talk Big Ten hockey uh they released the line chart for the game against the Czech Republic that starts in a little less than an hour and we have a Big Ten line because uh, Alex Turcotte, Cole Caulfield, and Johnny Beecher are all being played on the same line. So that'll be fun. Uh, hopefully they get a goal today. Uh, other than that, uh, my allergies are giving me hell, and I sound super nasally. So we should probably sign off. Um, do you have any parting thoughts? No, I just want to commend you on uh, uh, playing through – the allergy slash hangover uh, that you had running today. Uh, doing right, it for the people, doing it for the brand. Um, you know, Brendan, even with allergies and a hangover, you lasted about 40 times a patino. So that's good. <laughs> that is, I'm very proud of you. Yes, for anybody willing to donate to my cause, uh, DM me for my Venmo and I will be accepting <laughs> donations throughout. <laughs> the entire year of 2020. Thank you very much.